Hi everyone, you're listening to episode one of AxTrack, a podcast committed to examining and providing solutions for safety and occupational health in the workplace. I'm Heather. And I'm Holly. We are your hosts of the show. Now, Holly is an ER nurse by trade, but joined the marketing world to share practical knowledge employers can can use to navigate all things related to employee health and safety. Thanks. And Heather's actually a content specialist who dives deep into the industry-related trends, and she writes all of our informational articles to educate others on being their healthiest on and off the job. So look, so whatever your role is, this show is going to be about providing you with new knowledge that we hope is going to inspire you to take your organization to the next level. We have an exciting lineup of health and safety experts to help you navigate through those ups and downs of the entire employee journey with practical tools that are going to get you from one point to the next. And starting off this podcast, we have our first guest, Dennis Baker. Woohoo! Yep, we are so excited. Dennis is a national HSE leader for Ferguson Fire and Fabrication, but not just that. He is a leadership coach and motivational speaker. He's also the executive director for the John Maxwell Group and a disbehavior consultant. Welcome, Dennis. Hey, Dennis. Thank you. We are Thank so you both. we are so excited to have you on the show. Yes, absolutely. We're glad you finally made it in to come wow. chat with us. Yeah, I wish you would have made the weather a lot warmer. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it is. It's time for spring to roll on. Well, good to have you. Well, we'll go ahead and jump right in if that works for you. I'm ready. Okay, so Dennis, starting off, how tell us how did you end up in the safety world. Wow, you know, uh, kind of a, a, a crazy story, I guess you could say. I um, I went to, you know, in high school, I wasn't very good, right? In fact, I took welding in high school because it took three, took up three of the six classes. So that way I didn't have to take any math or anything like that. Um, went into the welding trade after I graduated and hated it. We worked too hard. Had it in my party time. Mm-hmm. So, I, uh, my dad had went to work for the prison system here in Texas and um, decided I would do that too and, and went into it, came, became a correction officer, did that. Uh, then I had a friend of mine um, that I went to the academy with um, who was doing safety. I didn't know much about safety. I mean, I knew a little bit here and there, but you know, what you learn in, in school, you know, stop, drop, and roll for mm-hmm. if you're ever yeah. on fire, you know, that kind of stuff. And and so I thought, hey, if I can just get in there, it's a Monday through Friday job, eight to five, I can get off this, this shift work, right? So that's what I did. Um, and very quickly got into it as an assistant safety person um, and loved it. I mean, I remember... And, and I bet you somewhere, somewhere, I still have my original copy of the CFR 2919. Do you really? And where, where I, man, I have highlighted, ripped it, <laughs> underlined it. Um, I, think, I think I even told somebody, I think I've read that, that particular version. This is way back when probably three full times from back to from so that's front. So that's back. your safety Bible then. That is. It yeah. was actually. And so anyway, I got into this. I started loving it. I started seeing things happen. Now this is with the Texas prison system. But what people don't know about the Texas prison system is they're a fully functional organization. Texas prison system 
provides all of their food, their furniture, their clothing. The inmates do a lot of it. They have industry within the organization, and it's mm-hmm. really good. Um, so working that for the for the next five, six, seven years, uh, I began began just growing a huge passion for it. Um, at one time, my wife asked me, "Why don't you just go to school at night?" I started looking at that and finding that it was going to take me about eight years to do it, and I wasn't going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm married, had a child, and um, we decided to start looking for a school. Ultimately picked Oklahoma State University because I loved fire protection mm-hmm. plus the safety side. Uh, and we moved. We packed, sold the house, packed everything up. I wasn't even officially accepted into the school when we left and moved up there and I moved in married student housing where my wife cried for days. Oh, no. It was built in the 50s and it was still looked like the 50s. Uh. So, um, but we loved it. It was the best thing we ever did. I think mm-hmm. going to school there did a lot of things for me. It grew me maturely. You know, I matured a whole lot. Uh, it gave my daughter an opportunity to interact with a diverse culture from mm-hmm. the different students sure. that were there and their families. My wife did a whole lot. You know, one thing I have to say in this podcast is I do thank my wife. You know, one thing that she did is she worked. And I went to school and mm-hmm. she worked. Uh, not a very great job, but she did work uh, as a loan secretary for, for a bank. And I made it very clear to her, you know, Marlene, if you'll just work and get me through school, then when we start making enough money, you can choose to work or not. You'll take care of her. And I'll take care of her. And that's, you know what, that's what we did. And so it's been about 22 years that she hasn't worked. And she loves it. Mm-hmm. So this is really how I got into it. And once I graduated from Oklahoma State, it was what I love doing. It's what I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. And you know what, 30 years later, I still love it as much as I did day one. Wow. Wow. And so have you worked with the same organization or have you kind of moved from job to job or what is that in mind? Now that's us. If HR people are listening now, I'm in trouble. (laughs) I've moved from job to job. I think, you know, two things. Number one, coming out of Coming out of college at 32 years old, mm-hmm. uh, making only $38,000 a year, uh, you know, because you're at the bottom. Right. Uh, I very quickly learned that with my maturity level, really, that I could accomplish a lot in a short period of time, and um, then then ended up moving jobs and making more money and more responsibility. One thing that I think has really been awesome, by the way but has really had me move a little bit is I became uh, more, I, I focused my job search to companies who were building cultures. Mm-hmm. Very early on in my career, I learned that what I'm dealing with is people, a lot of people. A lot of people who think in a lot of different ways. And yes, I can create policies and procedures and we can be as compliant as we need to be 
But that doesn't mean that people are going to follow the rules. That doesn't mean that people are going to do what they need to do. And so, you know, when you get an OSHA complaint a lot of times, it's, it's really, it comes into the side that maybe somebody probably did something they didn't need to do. They removed guards. They did whatever they were supposed to do or what weren't supposed to do, I should say. And that, to me, really set the tone that we need to change the way people think. And that's where I started doing. So I will say the last six jobs that I've taken have been specifically I would target those companies that were looking for a culture change. Wow, really. And so in the last few jobs that you've had then, do you feel like that you've been able to make an impact in, in each of those roles? I think absolutely. Uh, I think I've, I've made an I feel like that really the team I had working for me um, through my leadership has made those changes and I think you know you come in and you do your assessment and you put together your strategic plan and it all looks good on paper and it's almost impressive at times but it's can you can you implement it sure can you start it can you do it and I think once you get the ball rolling you get that momentum going then as long as you don't back off on it it works and I think you know, out of the last six jobs, every single job that I'm, I've had, except probably for the one I'm at now, because I'm early on it, I've seen incredible um, results from our from our vision and from our strategic plan that we put in place. Awesome. So, do you feel like that in each of those jobs that you've had, was there ever anything that you felt like was really kind of a crossroads there that kind of led you into some of this motivational speaking and, no. and leadership training? Oh, absolutely. One of the reasons I became a John Maxwell speaker or trainer and speaker mm -hmm. is back in 2011, 2012. In, in 2012, I had just become vice president of an oil and gas services company. And I got to tell you, I went into that vice president role probably way out of where I should have been thinking. I was hit the big time finally. That has always been my goal, professional goal, mm -hmm. is to be vice president, to be the top person for a safety, you know, mm -hmm. for the safety group and stuff. And here was my opportunity. Mm -hmm. This was a company that was really a, a, a semi-startup. They went out and bought a small company and then we're gonna build it off of that. Um, but, and, and I thought, you know, I report to the CEO. I've got all these these other vice presidents as part of the group. There's nothing I can't accomplish, right? Mm -hmm. Right, sure. And I remember sitting in Gillette, Wyoming in a hotel, Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> it was 2 a.m. I'll never forget this. Sitting there and struggling because that day, I had just had a conversation with my CEO and a couple of uh, vice presidents over some things that were going on in our branch there, and I wasn't getting the results that I expected to get as a vice president. Mm -hmm. And I really struggled. I thought, what have I done? You know, I've always thought, your vice president reporting to the CEO, you get whatever you want to do, right? You're you're creating this culture, you're creating this company. And so I remember sitting in, in bed with my laptop open and just thinking how I was gonna do this because I, I actually had gotten a question from my wife that day. I had probably been on the job about three months. She said, 
how's it going? How do you love your job? And I, and I, I really didn't have an answer for her, mm-hmm. you know. And I thought, this isn't what I thought I was, I was signing up for. Right. And so I started reading some other blogs, and I started looking at things. And I remember that um, my wife and I were directors of Children's Church for our church when we lived in in the south part of Houston. Mm-hmm. And our pastor put all of the the servant leadership through John Maxwell team uh, in the 17 indispensable laws of teamwork. Mm-hmm. And I remember going through that going, man, this is incredible stuff. And I had learned so much through that. So I started looking up John Maxwell to see if I could buy a book on leadership because I thought, you know what, I got a leadership problem I need to fix. And I saw that John Maxwell had a certification group for coaches uh, and how to be a coach and how to to work with executives and you know and and that kind of thing. So I thought, man, that sounds good. So I started looking at it and it showed up to be a speaker and some of the other things. And so I really started diving into it. Decided to go ahead and do it. So I signed up for it. Uh, you had to go to Orlando to be certified. I did that. Found out that they had another level called mentorship, which kind of gave you more of a smaller group. And the way they work is it's an online program that you, you once you sign up, you go online and take these incredible courses. I mean, some of the best course material I've ever seen. Videos going within these, the faculty are experts in their field, either coaching or training or, or speaking. And so I took the mentorship role, and that gave you access to a lot more of John's material. Uh, two years later, they offered another level called executive director. Executive director was, was really developed for you to become almost a franchisee for the John Maxwell Group, which is an actual company mm-hmm. that he owns, and you could do training and stuff within your city. And so I joined that and became that, and it's become one of the greatest things I've done. Was it really? Yeah, and so I think that's really what drove me to the leadership side of things. Mm -hmm. And I took that, and and I really took that and started what I learned through being in those three groups to my actual day-to-day operations as Mm -hmm. a vice president of safety. And it helped. It wasn't about who the CEO was. It wasn't about who the other VPs were. It was about how effective of an influencer could I be with that group to sell what I'm trying to sell. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so you incorporated that into your day-to-day activities. Every single thing that I do from that point on to to today has included all of that material that I do. If you follow me on LinkedIn, uh, I post things and you know, I tell people whether I write on my blog or I post on LinkedIn, one thing you can realize is that I'm posting it because either I struggled with it that week or I, I had a conversation with somebody who was struggling with something. Mm-hmm. Everything that I post or write on is real life and I think that's what, 
what leadership needs to be about. It's not about some topic or some book. It's about what's really happening mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis. Sure. Mm -hmm. And if I can interject at this point real quick. Yeah. Um, so talking about all this effective leadership um, and the passion you have for it, you, you blog about um, your balanced approach. Sure. Um, you know, five elements of safety every safety leader must have. Um, and you approach that as passion, attitude, problem solving, initiative, and humility. Right. Can you go a little deeper into those for our listeners sure. and and um, and also kind of dive into what those mean to you in a safety role? Yeah, you know, that man, thanks for asking about that and bringing that up. One of the things that I've been trying to do, one thing that I believe that in as safety professionals, we're not great leaders. Traditionally, we're very technically oriented. Mm -hmm. People can quote things right and left, but we're not great leaders. And one thing that I found out in my career is that as a safety professional, you have the potential higher than anybody else for influence. I even talk about you have more influence potential as a safety professional than the CEO does. Mm -hmm. Because if you're a true safety professional, you're out on the floor or in the, in the plants. You're interacting with the people on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. You know, a CEO may be the top guy. He may ultimately make the, the decisions, mm -hmm. but this person doesn't interact with the day-to-day -day workforce. And you know, ladies, I gotta tell you, you know, companies are successful based on the workforce, mm -hmm. not the CEO. Mm -hmm. We need leaders to lead us and have that vision. But ultimately, it's the person who is who is pouring the cement or who is changing the valves or, you know, making the product. Right. That's where it happens. Mm -hmm. And I think what we lost or what we haven't done well as safety professionals is build those relationships and interact with the workforce. And kind of have that ongoing um, opportunity to, to remind them they are people, not just numbers, right? Well, I, and having that very personal. Mm -hmm. That is a, you are right on. I think having that personal relationship with them, and one thing that I'll teach like with my staff is I believe safety professionals should be out on the floor 70% of their day. Mm -hmm. I know that we have a lot of paperwork. Safety is pretty paperwork burden heavy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I tell them all the time, paperwork's not going to change a culture. And you're never going to change a culture from behind your desk. Mm -hmm. You're going to change it out there. And even as my role became you know, more and more of a leadership role, I made it very clear that I was going to be out in the field. I, I'll tell you, even when I became vice president, I spent the majority of my time out in the field with the group, with the workers, because that was a big deal. So what I focused on in the last six years is I wanted to make sure that my passion for leadership went out to other safety professionals. Mm -hmm. I speak at a lot of chapter and regional uh, American Society of Safety Professional uh, conferences because, and I do it for free a lot of times because it's my passion for my profession to change 
hopefully change one safety professional if I can mm -hmm. to make them a stronger, better leader, to have more influence in what they do. So I came up with that, the five must-haves for a balanced safety leader. You know, a lot of people can have some of these, but what does it really take? And I've kind of, you know, this was written some, some time ago when I put this together. In fact, one of the five I've, I've actually included communication. Mm -hmm. One thing that a lot of people don't do is communicate. Uh, John Maxwell Wright wrote an incredibly uh, effective book called Everybody Communicates But Few Connect. And, then, and then I'll tell everybody, if you haven't read it, you need to read it because it's one of the best examples of how you need to connect with people. Um, before I get into this, I'm actually, I created my own philosophy on leadership and I call it the five stages to leadership. And, and stage one is connecting with people. And, and if you can't connect, they'll never listen to you, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you gotta connect with people and then you're gonna build the relationship. Mm -hmm. You'll create the trust out of that relationship, right? Then you'll know the value you need to add to them, and ultimately now you can influence. Mm -hmm. You know, um, John said that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And so if you can't influence, you can't lead. There's nobody to follow you. Right. And I think these five must-haves actually help people build that. So, you know, I talk about passion and, and I can't I can't I can go into an hour of this, but passion is is just incredible. If you're not passionate for what you do, you'll never be successful. In fact, I think passion gives you the willpower to get through the tough times. I agree. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's really important to make sure that you have that passion for whatever it is you do, whether it's safety or anything, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's important. And then we follow that up with the attitude. And if your attitude's not right, it's never gonna work either. Mm -hmm. uh, I think attitude's a very contagious thing, positive or negative. Attitude is gonna determine how we interact with people. It's gonna determine how we go about a project and it determines ultimately our success or failure. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's important to understand, right? And so when you work with people, you need to talk about that. I tell people all the time, I can change behaviors, I can't change attitudes. Right. Mm -hmm. We each own our own attitude. Every single one of us owns our, mm -hmm. our attitude. And so you need, to, you need to really think about that every time because that's going to determine how you approach your day going mm -hmm. forward. So attitude to absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, one thing that I, I added into this is problem solvers. Mm -hmm. Safety professionals are experts at identifying problems. Mm -hmm. We can write pages after page after page <laughs> of findings, but what we're not good at is solving the, the problems. Yeah. You know, when I was a young safety professional, man, I. I actually measured my performance on how thick my notebook was when I would go out and write, uh, do an audit. <laughs> and I realized, and I would type that audit up, yes, this is back before we had word processors and I would have to use a IBM Selectric 3 <laughs> there type you go. Yeah. Um, and write that up and just hand it to whoever 
department manager it was, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't give them suggestions on how to fix the problem. And so one thing that I really spend time with, especially in the student side of things, is I teach students you can you can identify problems and we need to do that, but you don't identify a problem unless you can give at least two select two solutions to that problem. Ooh, like and that. if if you can't come up with the solutions, then you have a group conversation to figure out what those mm -hmm. solutions together. Are. And you've also spoken about focus, right? So I there's do. the focus element in there. Yes, if you can't focus, you, I mean that's the heart of achieving anything mm -hmm. is focusing mm -hmm. and if you have that problem right there you have to focus on what that is mm -hmm. you know i i mentioned it earlier today in our lecture mm -hmm. learn that you know to exceed expectations you have to focus on what you're doing mm -hmm. and and we know that we're going to hit those roadblocks that's when the focusing really becomes mm -hmm. very important right and so you know, it's like the problem solver. If you can't figure out how to solve the problem, then you need to focus with the right people to figure out a solution to that problem. I tell people all the time, you never walk away without coming up with a solution mm -hmm. because you're a failure if you do. Because what do we do as safety professionals, and this is personal to Dennis Baker, is I tell you what you need to do. I walk away. I come back. You did what you think you need to do, but it's wrong. I don't like the way you did it. Mm -hmm. And so now the, our relationship is broken because you're like, you told me to fix it. I fixed it. But now you tell me I didn't fix it right. Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't tell me how to fix it. Mm -hmm. So that's a big part of it. So problem solving is huge. Initiative was another one of the five ones we talk about. And if we don't ever take initiative, it never gets done, right? I would I love to say that if we always do what we've always done, we'll get what we've always got. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to get in there, take the initiative mm -hmm. to make things happen, whatever it is. Do you find initiative and um, integrity to go hand in hand? I think initiative and integrity, yeah, could go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. I think by saying what you say you're going to do, then I think that's what you need to do. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I've worked with a lot of unions, and unions, you know, are are they're they're going to challenge when they need to challenge. But unions, from a safety perspective, are your greatest asset. The only problem is you got to watch what you say, mm -hmm. because if you go to a union member that has a problem you say well I can get that I'll, I'll get it taken care of and it never gets done did you build respect with that union did you build you integrity yeah. with that union no you lost it all right so I tell people all the time you need to be very careful union or non-union by the way of what you commit to because the initiative that you are going to commit to it's going to determine if they come back and say you have integrity or you show that integrity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's big. Good. Well, and I think that you also have humility listed. Was that one that mm -hmm. was also included? Yeah. Okay. Humility is huge. Mm -hmm. You know, I uh, I tell people all the time if you're not humble about it, I can tell you a story. I was a young safety guy. I think it was my first second job actually. Uh, I was an assistant safety engineer for a company, and we had a turnaround, and I was working nights. 
And I remember walking through the um, the generation plan, power generation plan, and um, saw this contractor working on a piece of equipment. It's like two in the morning, right? And you know, we had probably been in this turnaround three or four weeks. People are starting to be worn out, you know, and like, God, I just want this to end, you know, kind of thing. I remember going up to this person, to this contractor, and saying, where's your lockout tag out tags? I don't see your locks. I don't see your tags. Have you locked this out? It was an older gentleman, and he kind of looked at me and gave me a look like, what are you talking about? But kept on working. Didn't re didn't ever respond to me. And so I said, hey, I need you to stop for a minute and show me how you lock this piece of equipment out. Mm -hmm. And the guy looked at me again and said, I... I don't need to lock this equipment out. And that really threw me off, so I got a little bit upset and said, you will lock this equipment out. You will stop right now. We will lock this equipment out, and that's how it is. And and he said, he said, don't worry about it. I don't need to lock it out. Well, I was pretty fuming. I was fuming, so I walked away for a minute, came back a couple minutes later, and said, all right, I'm going to do this one more time before I lock you out the gate. Right. And I said, you need to lock it out. Why haven't you locked this out? 1910, and this is how I quoted it, 1910, I think 147 is what I said, or 146 actually. And it says that you have to isolate this equipment and there can't be any you know, unexpected startup. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that, that was funny is he looked at me and goes, actually that's 1910-147 that says you do that. And I'm not locking this out because it's a brand new pump and it's not even hooked up. And I remember going, whatever, and I walked around the corner and saw it was still on a pallet. I never even looked at it, never even saw it. So we had about four or five more weeks left of that this turnaround. Mm -hmm. And for the four or five, I wasn't humble enough to go say, oh, man, I was wrong. Sure. Every time I saw this guy walking towards me, I went a different direction, so I never had to have an oh, interaction no. with him. <laughs> so I think, you know, if, you have, if you're humble and you can actually go back there and have that conversation, say, look, sorry about that, man. I, was, I should have, you know, taken some more time. I think it really starts to build those relationships. Mm -hmm. And building relationships is the key to influence. Right, it's what's going to end up happening. So humility is a huge part of what we do, and, and I think it's important. A lot of us, especially as we start achieving things in our career, think we're the best, mm -hmm. and the best doesn't mean we're the most effective. And I think we need to get to that part. Sure. So for safety leaders that are looking to make changes, where do they start? I think when people come in, I think one of the things that I, I coach people on that are coming into a new job is spend the first 90 days mm -hmm. just looking, watching, observing, observing, asking questions, listening, listening. And, and I tell people as one of the things that I think has one been the been probably the biggest benefit out of the John Maxwell program for me is the coaching training. You know, when we talk about coaching, and I, you know, for years have coached top executives for companies, right? I mean, at one time I was coaching two top 100 CEOs. I mean, 
and I'm just some stupid safety guy, right? <laughs> and I, you know, people would ask me, you're not a CEO, you don't know how. I'm not telling this guy how to run his company. A coach, in the true form of coaching, will ask engaging questions, questions. to that person to get that person to solve their own problem or to create a thought process that will ultimately solve those problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that I've taught people new to safety or going into a job is ask questions. Ask engaging questions, take down notes, spend the first 90 days understanding the business, getting to know the business. And building those relationships. building it. And actually, you know, you build your strategic plan based off of that. Mm -hmm. What do you want to do in the next 90 days after that, the next year? Right. What is your vision for the future based on what you're seeing? Mm -hmm. so, so when they spend uh, the first 90 days building these relationships, listening, observing, all these things that you spoke about, um, they are going to encounter some barriers. Absolutely. And so what would you say to them? I think barriers are part of it. Mm -hmm. change, is, change, change is one of the most difficult things for people to embrace, right? Right, right. Um, and we all know it. I, I think there's probably times you can think back in your lives right now and say, I didn't want to do that or I'm not going to do that. I think change is huge. Mm -hmm. So I tell people all the time, when you come into an organization, whether they have a very strong, effective safety culture or not, you're going to want to make changes. That's who we are, right? We want our personal effect, our personal tag to be put on the program. And so you're going to run into barriers. You're going to run into people who put up their hands and say, stop. And I think you need to, you need to, to respect that. Mm -hmm. You need to talk about it with mm -hmm. them. You need to understand why there's a barrier that comes up. Mm -hmm. And we need to talk about it. I, you know, I, in the company that I'm at now, this company is very traditional. And they're very, they, their tradition goes back a hundred and something years. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, now they want to create a very strong safety program, what they call first in safety, which I love, by the way. And, but we're starting to implement things and we're hitting barriers. And so I tell, I tell people all the time, when I hit a barrier, I just stop and I back off and I ask questions. Mm -hmm. Well, what, what's, what's wrong with this? Why do you see this as an issue? You know, what, what do you think is going to end up resulting in? Mm -hmm. And that's what I think helps. You can work those things out. You know, nothing in safety should ever be created on our own. It needs to be a team, group project. If we don't get buy-in for what we want to do, it'll never happen. Sure. So even if you get buy-in and they start pushing back, then you need to understand why. Mm -hmm. So when some of that, that going gets rough then, mm -hmm. what would you say that that new safety professional starting out, what is it that they can do professionally and also personally to kind of drown out some of that noise and keep going? Yeah. Number one, they got to be persistent. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, we have to be persistent in everything we do. Uh, if we believe in it, we're passionate about it, our persistence will wane, right? Mm -hmm. our, it won't wane. It'll go, go on forever. And it's like I, I said earlier, you know, when we have a strong passion for something, 
it's going to help us. It'll give us the willpower to get through those tough times. Right. So that persistence is, is very important. And then you have to be consistent in that. I'll tell people, you be persistent in what you believe, and you're consistent in your conversation and your message, and then people will start to buy into that. Mm -hmm. If you're not, and you're all over the board, they're not going to know what we want to do. Mm -hmm. And so as that young safety professional coming in, and you start moving into it, and you hit those barriers, continue to be persistent with a constant message, and keep going. It may take you a few months. You know, I tell people a lot of times, 18 to 24 months is what it takes to change a culture, to see the beginnings of that change, not to fully change that culture, because culture occurs over time, mm -hmm. right? It's built right. over time. But it takes 18 to 24 months to start seeing the changes start to take place. Mm -hmm. You can go for the low-hanging fruit, and that's really good. That's an effective part of it. But ultimately, it has to be built into our daily routine, mm -hmm. what we do and how we do it. Definitely. Is there anything that you wish that you had known whenever you started out? Oh, man, yes, a lot. <laughs> um, I, I, You know, honestly, I wish I would have actually had more training in leadership. Mm -hmm. You know, when I came out of school, uh, and maybe partially because I had the, the prison background. Yeah. But I was a very forceful person, right? You know, in prison, if the inmate crossed the yellow line, you know, they either got back on the other side of the yellow line or you helped them get back That's over right. there, right? That's right, assistance. <laughs> um, and, and here, I always wanted to get them back on the other side of the yellow line, and if they didn't do it, I just threw them out of the plant. You know, I had one job where... You know, I had a lot of authority, which, you know, safety people have no authority. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to learn to lead without authority. And that's why influence comes into it. But I remember going into a manufacturing facility and people weren't wearing the glasses. I simply fired them on the spot. And that was a horrible, horrible <laughs> effect on the whole program. Mm -hmm. Because in one day, I fired 10 people. Oh my God! Oh, you lose in staff quick there. Uh, well, you, you lose respect, and then you almost lose your job for right, it. Yeah. So, you know, you think about it: ten people in a manufacturing facility—that is, that's a huge loss, right? And so, I wish I would have had more leadership. I wish I would have had the mentor, mentor, right? A person who could tell me how to approach things. I never had that. You know, I went into my first job and I just simply did it the way I thought I was supposed to do it mm -hmm. based on what I was told. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, school is important. School is very important, gives you the theory and gives you the knowledge base. But in reality, it doesn't teach you real world mm -hmm. impl implementation. It mm -hmm. doesn't. And I think, you know, I push hard now for a lot of the organizations, a lot of the educational organizations out there, the universities and stuff, to add more leadership courses to their curriculum and to their their degree plans because that's, as safety that's, professionals, we need it. Yeah. Well, that seems to be the people piece, yeah. which is so important for building those relationships. I mean, that's the takeaway I've gotten from this for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a good point. The people piece, we don't we don't do that in safety. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about behavior-based safety, but but I, I posted, and man, it's some of the, the most 
you know, shared, commented posts that I get on LinkedIn is when I talk about behavior-based safety mm -hmm. because I'm a firm believer that we're coaching for behavior change. We're not worried about the card you fill out, right? Right. right. And so I think we focus too much on that. Mm -hmm. We need to focus on the people. And in school, a lot of the university, not all, um, I don't lump all of them into that, but a lot of the universities focus on the technical side mm -hmm. of things. Right. And uh, that's only one part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and just kind of wrapping some of this up here, mm -hmm. tell us, what are, what are you curious about right now? What gets your interest peaked when it comes to safety? Oh, man. You know, I think we're at a crossroads as a safety professional right now. Um, if you were to do, you know, if you look at it, the average age of the safety professional is 54 years old. Wow. Um, and so we are we are rapidly hitting that mark where we're going. We need a turnover. Mm -hmm. You know, we need that younger generation coming up. And um, I think that's important for us seasoned safety professionals to make sure we're mentoring the younger group. But what I want to do, and I had a conversation with somebody the other day, the traditional safety approach needs to change. We need to think about how to be more effective in safety. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, how do we really truly see behaviors change? Mm -hmm. We can talk about it. We can write, you know, fill out the car. I can get commitment from an employee to work safe. Mm -hmm. But are they going to really work safe when I walk away? Mm -hmm. That's the thing I want to make sure we focus on. And so for the new, you know, the new professional coming in and as we continue to progress through the changing of the guard, mm -hmm. as you might say, I think it's important that we have a different outlook for safety going forward. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. that is focused on the people rather than compliance and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you, Good Dennis, so much. Dennis, yeah, yeah, it's yes, great absolutely. advice. Um, you know, you know it. We know it from all the research we're always doing and the stories that we hear. Um, our listeners for sure know it that managing safety can be a challenge, and it continues to be a challenge. And um, we hope that what you learned in today's episode will inspire you to take action in a whole new way. If you're looking to improve your own occupational health program, we want you to contact us at Axiom Medical by visiting our website, which is www.axiomllc.com, or by giving us a call at 877-502-9466. With our in-house OSHA-trained nurses available 24-7 and occupational health programs, we're navigating employees through the entire life cycle. From pre-hire to retire, we partner with our clients to improve a company's bottom line with a healthy and safe workforce.